You're listening to the City Lights Church Podcast with Pastor Jesse Miller. It's good to be with you. I'm glad to have you here with us this morning. I'm glad you braved it through this weird snow-ice mixture, whatever this is. I'm not sure. But uh, I'm glad you're here today, and uh, hopefully you're careful on your way out through the parking lot. It kind of, is, I, I got up this morning. Yesterday, I, when I cleaned off my wife's car, it took me like two minutes to clean off her car. Nothing snowed since then, and yet it took me like 25 minutes to clean off my car this morning. I felt really bad for the neighbors, and even my wife. Like, everybody's still in bed. I'm out there, like, I'm that guy, right? Just making noise. Next thing you know, my daughter, who's on the third floor, pops her head out of the window. Hi, Dad. <laughs> Five minutes later, still scraping. It's Ash and Grace and, ha- and Faith. Hi, Dad. I'm like, uh, the neighbor across the street. Hi. No, I'm kidding. He didn't do that. He didn't. But he was in bed gritting his teeth, I'm sure. But uh, no, I'm glad that you scraped off your cars. You made it through the horrible plowing of Scranton, Pennsylvania, and you were here with us today. Um, I, I actually just, this last week, I was in Lancaster for... Um, my, I'm in uh, class, Bible college, um, working on my master's, and uh, we had two days, eight-hour classes, um, but this whole class over these six weeks is all in worship, right? And what is worship? And this class has really revolutionized the way that I think of biblical worship, um, and this is not my message at all, just so you know, it's a preview or prequel, but it was talking about how worship as a corporate gathering, you have personal worship when you're at home or by yourself, and then you have the corporate worship, which is what this is. But we tend to think of worship as a bunch of people on a guitar or an organ or hymns or some kind of music. And the truth is worship is that, but it's also communion. Worship is prayer. Worship is the message right now. These are all aspects of the same worship experience. Make sense? So this morning, as we continue in the Word, I encourage you not to think of this as just Jesse up here talking and telling stories and looking at the Bible, but this is still us worshiping the Lord together, hearing his voice as a community and then responding to it, all right? Make sense? So that's what I, I just really, it's been stirred in my heart lately to start thinking differently of the entire service. This is all worship to the Lord. Everything we do in life should be worship, but when we come together, this is still a reverent moment. This is a, a great moment of corporate worship together. So... Um, before I get into the text, though, I was praying about it and thinking about it, and how many of you guys have kids and have corrected your kids for something, and then like two hours later, you realize, I kind of do the same thing? Anybody? Like, some of us, right? So, with, with Faith, who's my middle daughter, um, and I know middle daughters always get that stereotype, or middle child, you know, whatever, um, and I can see how that's true, you know, some, somewhat. But Faith and I are kind of walking through a battle right now where there is a word that comes out of her mouth that drives me nuts. And I tell her, you cannot say that. The word is hate. Um, for some reason, multiple times in the last six months, for no reason at all, she'll just say, I hate you. And I'll be like, what in the world is this? Like, this is not the gospel. This is not what we believe. This is, this is demonic, right? Like, not really. I don't go that. I don't say that. I exercise. No, I don't exercise anything. It's, I just say faith. That's not, that's not, God doesn't hate. I said, and this is what I said yesterday morning. I overheard her. I was reading a book and I overheard her say, I hate you to her sister. They were playing. They were laughing. They were having fun. And I'm like, why did you say that? And she says, I don't know. It just came out. I'm like, we've been talking about this, so you have time out today, right? Um, 
you, until, and I said, until you learn that we don't communicate hate, you will get in trouble every time you use that word. You will learn that this is not a word that we say in our house. I said, you're allowed to hate broccoli if you want, but you cannot hate people, right? So last night, NFL playoffs. What comes out of my mouth? I hate the Patriots. Oh, I hate Tom Brady, right? I hate it. Today's Steelers. I hate the Steelers, like, right? It's just, ugh. And I've kind of justified in my own mind, like, oh, I want them all to get saved and, like, know Jesus. I just want the entire court, like, franchise to implode on itself and go bankrupt. Like, I don't, I hate them as an organization. So I justify, right? But yet, I'm sitting there on my couch and my daughter's playing and coloring, and she hears me say, oh, I hate the Patriots. Dad, you just said I was grounded to my room for an hour because I said I hate. Yeah, like, like, she didn't say that to me, but like, I thought it later in my head. Like, I, I'm communicating one thing and, I'm com- and doing another. I mean, I justify it, but yet it's still not justified, right? This morning, I want to look. Um, last week, Ben preached a great message on the Great Commandment. So we're going through our catechism. We're going through our foundations. Why do we believe what we believe? And so we see that there's two great commandments. Uh, and the first one is that we should love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our souls, right? With, basically, with all that we are, we love God. And then when asked what is the second, or when asked what is the greatest, Jesus responds with the second greatest commandment, right? Which is to love your neighbor as yourself. We know this, but I want to relook at this a little bit. And the funny thing is, as I was studying this week, Jesus doesn't say this like one time. There's multiple times in his ministry that the same thought comes out. Love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. Over and over and over again, this is talked about throughout the Gospels. And so I want to this morning look in Luke's Gospel, not Matthew's, but Luke, Luke's account of the same, same expression of these great commandments for us. Luke, go to Luke chapter 10. We're going to read together in verse 25, but I want to set the stage just a little bit so you understand. So Jesus is, has been teaching, and he has sent out 72 followers to go out and to heal the sick, to preach the gospel, to preach the news of the kingdom coming through him, and to heal and to cast out demons. And, and you see him give a revelation and a, and a woe. There's these woe statements over the cities that aren't listening, that aren't responding to the gospel. And then you see the return of the 72 coming back joyfully saying, hey, things happened in your name, like you, God moved through us. And then in verse 21, Jesus, it's, it says, Jesus rejo- rejoices in the Father's will. And I want to read this, actually. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by the Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the, who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to his disciples, he said to them privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So what's happening in the first part here is that there's, this, there's this mass release of followers who proclaim the gospel and 
Give signs. And Jesus says in this private moment, in that same hour, he says, thank you, God, that you are revealing to anybody you want to who I am and who you are. And I get to choose who sees you. And he says to the disciples, you guys are awesomely blessed right now. You don't even realize it because you're seeing the kingdom of God. You're seeing the face of God in ways that those who are prophesying in generations past Those leaders who wanted to see this, they couldn't even see this at all. You guys are getting a revelation that nobody else has ever gotten. Make sense? So this morning when I read Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, who saw Christ on the cross, he saw the servant, the suffering servant, the Lord himself, bleeding and dying, giving himself up like a lamb to the slaughter, right? Jesus says to the disciples, you guys see the revelation of the Father more than Isaiah saw it. And he was pretty good at it, right? So there's this aspect going into this passage of revelation that's being released and something that's being hidden. And Jesus is thankful that God is releasing, revealing himself. Okay? Understand? You're all on the same page? That's the scene. So let's look. Verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? We pause there so you understand. So like Ben was talking last week, there's a lawyer. This might be the same lawyer. This might be a different story. Sometimes when we see the different aspects, and sometimes it's, it's different disciples seeing things a little bit differently, sometimes it's actual different stories of the same event. Jesus ministered for three years. There was a lot of religious people who had the same questions for him. So it's okay if some of the stories look a little bit different because you have different people writing it and you have it happening multiple times. Like Jesus multiplied loaves of fish and not loaves of fish loaves of bread and fish multiple times right it happened twice so i want i want you to see this here this lawyer comes and he says he's trying to test jesus he's trying to get him in a little trap and he says hey um so what do i have to do to have eternal life and jesus responds with a question don't you love that when somebody responds to your question with a question he's like what does the law say what what, how do you read it i want to hear your answer And the guy gives him a good answer. He says, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So we think everything's good, right? Jesus is like, oh, you get it. I didn't even have to tell you that. You get the answer. This is what eternal life looks like. This is what the kingdom looks like, loving God and loving people as as equals, right? Well, then the lawyer gets a little bit deeper into the mix, right? He, get, he just digs himself his own hole, right? And he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied. The guy is trying to trap Jesus here. He's a lawyer. He's a religious lawyer. He gets it. He knows the law. He's trying to catch Jesus. And so Jesus return, gives him an answer by asking him an answer. And when the guy gives the right answer, Jesus says, good job. And the guy just, couldn't just leave it at that. I'm trying to justify myself. I'm trying to build myself up now in front of Jesus and in front of everybody else. So who's my neighbor, Jesus? Let's look at Leviticus chapter 19. You don't have to flip there. Um, if we can get it on the screen real quick. Verse 9, verse nine we're going to start there. Leviticus. This is the law. This is the Old Testament law. This is God's people, Israel, receiving instruction from the Lord. And I'm going to read a a little bit of a chunk here and point out a few things. Verse 9. This is to the Israelites. This is to guys like this lawyer here. When you reap harvest, we have that? Yeah. 
Uh, chapter, chapter 19, verse 9. Did I say something wrong? Did I say the wrong chapter? No. It's still just not up there. You got it? Oh, there it is. Good job. We got it. All right, same page. Verse 9. When you reap the harvest of the land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You should not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and shall and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. Who is doing that? Just curious. So when I read that, I'm like, isn't that kind of evident? You shouldn't mock deaf people and put rocks and stuff in front of blind people. That, that guy's a jerk, whoever that guy is. I am the Lord your God, right? I am the Lord. You shall not do injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer, of def, defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or, be, or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's an interesting passage. It's the law. Here's a lawyer who knows the law. and He thinks he gets the law. He's trying to justify himself. And so he puts Jesus on the spot. Okay, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Well, what does this passage say your neighbor is? Who? Who is your neighbor? Well, no, let's look a little closer. Go, go to that last verse there. Verse 18. If I'm reading verse 18, who's my neighbor? Your own people. I'm Israel. So there's a long, long list of things that I'm not supposed to do to Israel. Everybody else, I hate them all. Burn! Like, that's the mindset of Israel. Like, that is the, the viewpoint that this guy has. He's trying to justify himself. And the truth is, I wonder, has he really fulfilled this part of the law? Has he really, like, not slandered? I mean, that means he's not a gossip. How easy is it to become a gossip quickly? And we're like, oh, we're just, we're just trying to solve an issue. No, you're talking about somebody who has an issue or you think. Like, we, we easily fall into that. And here's a guy trying to justify himself, but he's asking the question, who is my neighbor? And this is what Leviticus says. Leviticus points this picture of, hey, you're Israel. Take care of Israel. You've got, you got a farm? Leave some stuff for the poor people of Israel. You got a, a vineyard? Leave some stuff for the poor people of Israel. You got a guy across the street? That's your neighbor? Don't slander him. Don't take him to court. He's your own people. Don't fight your own people, right? And so like, that's the first revelation in Leviticus that we see of loving your neighbor. That's the, the base level of revelation that we have here. And so this guy, this lawyer, this, this religious man trying to justify himself and entrap Jesus says, I got rule number one down, Jesus. Who's your neighbor? And Jesus responds with a classic story that we all know. I want to read this together. Go back to Luke chapter 10. Try Verse 29, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which one of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This man, this, this lawyer has an imagery in his mind. Jesus, so what do I need to do to have eternal life? What do I need to do to have the kingdom? What do I need to do to live eternally, to be successful in this religious perspective? And Jesus says, what's the law say? Tell me what the law says. And the guy says, love God with everything and love people. And Jesus says, good job. And the guy goes, so who's my neighbor, Jesus trying to trip him up a little bit. And Jesus says, you don't even know who your neighbor is. You think you're trying to trap me. Let me tell you who your neighbor is. Let me show you who your neighbor is. See, we see two people at the beginning here of Jesus' story. We see a priest and we see a Levite. Who's the priest and the Levite in Israel? They're your lead worshipers. They're your leaders in the religious perspective the ones who know God, right? And according to the Levitical law, these guys can't touch somebody who's dead, right? They can't come near the dead. So you have these lead worshipers. What do they do when they see somebody who's half dead on the road? They say, I can't go near because I'll defile myself. I'll make myself less before God. But what they've done then, because they've taken this law, they've taken this perspective and looked at the half men, they forsake the higher law of love for the sake of their own feeling of purity. Clearly in, in the law there, clearly in, in Leviticus chapter 9, there's this understanding that you give everything, you leave stuff, you don't rob your neighbor, you give life to your neighbor, you love your neighbor as yourself, and when that person's half dead, half dead, not fully dead, they're not willing to risk their sense of righteousness to love on that person, to save that person, to love that person as themselves. Are you guys still with me this morning? Jesus says, you thought you knew what your neighbor is, but, but you, you don't. I'm showing you that your neighbor here in this story is your enemy. Who is it? The Samaritan. The Samaritan here, Israel hates Samaritans. To this day, we still have conflict between Israel and Palestine. We have Israel issues between Israel and other types of people in that area. Like, and when you have an issue between Israel and Palestine today, if you want to try to get to Bethlehem, you have to, like, so say I was uh, an American Christian and I want to take a tour right now in Israel and I want to go see the birthplace of Christ, right? I get in my bus, my tour bus, I got a Jewish tour guide, I get right up to Bethlehem. It's this tiny little, tiny little town, right? There's a massive wall surrounds the town. That's Palestinian territory. 
So I get my bus. The bus stops. My Jewish tour guide gets off. I go through the wall. My Palestinian tour guide gets on. If, you, if you're a Jew, you don't go into Palestine. If you're a Palestinian, you don't go in the, in the Jewish territory. The same is true with Samaria. So here Jesus paints this story understanding the animosity between two people. And you have a man who's on his way to, from Jerusalem to Jericho, which means he can't take the direct route. He understands there's Samaritan territory. Here's my territory. And so what I have to do is I have to navigate. I have to wander around. I have to go the long way to get where I want to go. Make sense? And when you did that in that culture, because there were so many rocks and cliffs and wandering twists, that's where bad guys like to hang out. They hide behind the rocks. They wait for a lonely guy coming through, and they beat him and they rob him. That is a literal the environment that was happening in that day. So the picture Jesus paints isn't some random abstract Disney fairy tale. This is a true story that they understood. If you're Israeli, we travel in groups to Jericho. We take the long way. Why is this Samaritan walking down that road? And why is that guy laying half dead? Because he went alone. He did something stupid, right? What we do here, Jesus paints this picture saying, how about we reevaluate what love is? Here you have a guy traveling by himself half dead on a long road that you all understand is dangerous, and a Samaritan The guy that we're trying to avoid on that road comes and rescues this guy. Comes and gives him life. Who's your neighbor? Is it is it the Jewish guy? Is it the Levites? Is it is it the priest? Or is it that Samaritan dude? Who who is your neighbor in this situation? Jesus is saying, I'm showing you something different. See, I want to tell you that scripture builds upon revelation. And the same is true in your life. Revelation, God always gives us revelation upon revelation about who he is. He starts us off at the beginning. So um, this last week, I got the, I, I, you guys know I love board games, right? And so we had, Josh was over, and uh, John and Ben and Kenny. We had a few of us over to play this new board game. I won't mention the name because you'll, okay, it's Ben's game. It's, a, it's also a German game called Bloody Inn. So that's not very Christian, just so you know. Um, I didn't know what this game was about, or I would have told Ben, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, but he brings this game over, and there's, he's trying to explain the rules. And I'm, I'm a gamer, so I get it. I, I, Will has taught me how to think like a gamer, right? There's a lot of rules, and they're complicated. This is, this is no Operation Mousetrap stuff. This is, this is deep level. And I can see Kenny and, and Josh's eyes like, what did we just get ourselves into? And Ben starts off with rule number one. And then goes into the next rule. You build upon rules, right? To understand how the game works. The same thing is true in the Christian life. God wants to give you all the understanding of how his kingdom works, what you are to function in, but he doesn't give you all the rules in one just straight shot. He gives you rule number one, rule number two. Okay, let's experience these two rules first. Sometimes it's best to learn. So I got another game for Christmas. I opened up the rule book and it's a massive box. There's four different rule books and it's, it's geek central. It's awesome, right? There's four different rule books in there. Get to page four in the rule book and it says, you basically want to try a small game first. And we'll, this rule book is how to go through a sample game, right? Sometimes it's better to learn through experience, That's why in most job fields, you go and you have on-the-site training. They don't just tell you everything at one shot in an hour. That How many of you guys have been to that training where they just tell you everything about the job and you're like, I'm in a back storage room and you're telling me about how the computers work out there. This is horrible, right? 
sometimes it's better to understand precepts. And the same is true with the kingdom of God. God wants to give you revelation upon revelation. We go from glory to glory to glory. God likes to reveal who he is in increments, small portions. He's constantly saying, here's a little bit more of who I am. Now, now work with this. Know how this is. Respond to what I'm showing you. Okay, now I'll show you a little bit more. And so you have a lawyer who thinks he gets it. Jesus has just been giving revelation. Thank you, God, that you're revealing who you are. And here's the lawyer saying, Jesus, give me some more. What's next? Who's my neighbor, Jesus? And the guy doesn't get who his neighbor is. Jesus gives him a story, says, this is who your neighbor is. How about you go and do likewise? Jesus says, who's your neighbor? The guy who showed mercy. Okay, you go do that. You think you got it all together. You think you, you want some more revelation from me? I can't give you any more until you build on what I've already given you. I can't give you any more until you already exercise the things that you already know. That's that's good word right there for somebody. So often we want God to show us the next steps in our lives. We want him to show us deeper things, and we haven't implemented the revelation he's already given us. We don't tithe, but we expect bigger financial blessing. We, we don't welcome the lost and the broken, yet we want people to welcome us. We want job promotions, but yet we're lazy and bored with the job that we currently have and don't give of anything else. We wish we had more time to do all these things we want to do in our lives, but we don't steward the time we currently have. We want God to give us more revelation, but we're not responding to what he's already shown us. We want to know the heart of the Father. We want to know the kingdom. We want to know eternal life. I love that Jesus just stops with two rules. The law and the, the religious people, man, they love to give rules, don't they? Like, Ben, you were talking about last week, about how many rules there are. Like, there's a ton about, you, you called your message, I love crab soup last week. I remember that. Last night, I had a great crab bisque. Mmm, delicious. I don't know what the price was. It was probably like $7 for a bowl of soup. If I was Jewish, trying to keep those laws, not understanding, I couldn't have had that soup last night. Jesus says, I'm giving you two rules. Get these first, and then we'll move on from there. Love God with everything that you are, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Who is your neighbor? Your neighbor is your enemy. Your neighbor is that person across the street. Your neighbor is your family member. Your neighbor is your coworker. Your neighbor is everybody, like you said earlier. Back then, they were still stuck with trying to love Israel. And Jesus is like, I'm calling you to a new level. I'm giving you a new revelation right now. You don't even understand it. You think that you have something to prove to me, but you can't love Israel. I'm telling you to love the Samaritans too. Go do likewise. Then come back to me. I'll give you more. Go do likewise. I'll give you something else. You want to model eternal life. You want to know what it looks like. Then how about the next time you see some old man fall over in the snow, which my wife sees all the time. This is common for us. Like, I don't know why. But the next time you see some old man trip on the sidewalk in the snow, you pull your car over, you check and see if he's okay. If he's not okay, even though you're going to work, you get him in your car, you drive him to, to, to the hospital, you drive him to wherever he needs to go. Your car now smells like cat urine and maybe a little bit of human urine. Who knows? You find out who his family members are and you contact them and you show up to work two hours late because you help some old dude that you don't even know. Like that's what the kingdom of God looks like. That's loving your neighbor. It's also if the person that you don't like is going through a bad day, instead of just shrugging your shoulders and saying, that eh, deserves them right. They stink. You sit down and say, what can I pray for you about? What can I pray with you for? You're having a bad day at work, even though you are the biggest pain in my side at work. What's going on? How can I pray with you? 
It's loving your neighbor as yourself. So we are really good. Even, even the most self-loathing person still gives themselves the benefit of the doubt and tries to preserve their own life. If that's the person who doesn't love themselves very well and they need to work on some identity issues, how much more should we try to preserve the lives and have the best interest Give them the benefit of the doubt of the person who's the Samaritan in our world. What does that look like? What, what, is, what does that really look like? I want you to see a few things in this passage in Luke one more time. You guys still good? Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. First step is, as you're going through life, you're not, you're not out looking for half-dead people in the streets, but as you're going through life, when you see somebody who's half-dead, you have compassion. How do you have compassion? What does he do? And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pulling, pouring on oil and wine. I want to stop there for a second, because as I read that, I started... This last week, I was doing some personal study on Israel's culture. And so God tells Israel, I'm going to give you a place flowing with milk and honey, right? Like that whole imagery. And you're going to reap from crops you didn't sow. You're going to live in houses you didn't build. You're going to have wine that you didn't prepare. And you're going to have, like, he gives them this imagery of you're going to reap a harvest of stuff that you didn't even do anything to get. And so Israel comes in, or God's people come into the land of Israel to take it. It's theirs now. And what do they see? They see on these massive hills these crops that are made. And and it's different than our crops. Like when we think of farmland in America, we think of like corn and cows and Martin's chickens running around everywhere. Like that's what, what we think of, right? You go to Israel, it's like desert most of the place like israel has been in the desert literal desert for 40 years and they get to the promised land and it's like desert but with greenery it's still rocky and it's difficult soil and what generations before them who didn't they weren't part of israel have done is they've taken and they built this system of walls going up the hills right so the rain would come down hit the first long skinny crops. So let's say, let's say the space of this stage that went on for a little while around the hill. This was mine. And I would take rocks out of the soil here and I would build up a nice little wall, keep it repaired. And the person below me would do the same thing. They would keep little rocks in there. That way when the rain came, it didn't tear on the wall and wash out all the crops. But I would have my little spot with me and my family. You would have you, your spot with you and your family. And we each keep take, taking care of the other person's wall. And the rain would come down. And what we would have in that crop were three things. This is what Israel had. Olives, figs, and grapes. Oil, wine, and figs. Come alive. Anyway. <laughs> we, would have, we, would have oil, we would have those three things, right? That is the inheritance of Israel without doing a single thing to get it. Two of those three things sound really familiar, oil and wine right here. What do those two things represent when we look through Scripture often? The anointing of the Lord through the Holy Spirit. Often the Holy Spirit is depicted as oil or wine. Figs are, figs are just weird. I don't, I don't understand. I'm just kidding. 
Figs are part of it. But when, when they read this, this is two aspects of their wealth, their economy, and their inheritance. And here's a man who's a Samaritan given the inheritance of God's people to a half-dead person who's God's people. If you want to know what it is to love your neighbor, then you let the Holy Spirit give you compassion and you release the inheritance of the kingdom into that person who's half dead. You don't keep it, well, this is my inheritance. Say, no, this is our inheritance. I give it to you. That's what it is to love your neighbor. So that enemy who's half dead, you give what God has given to you, to them. He gives them, pours on oil and wine. Through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we give oil and and wine. And he sets him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn to take care of him. And then the next day he took out two denarii. He gives him oil and wine. He gives him his own horse. And he gives him his own money. This morning, as we seek to become a church that represents the kingdom of heaven here, we have to come back to the foundations of Revelation. We have to build our lives on the first two revelations of who God is and how we display his character into this city. We love God with all that we are. With all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, with everything that we are, we give it to the Lord. We say, God, I love you. And when I don't even understand, like Ben talked about 2017 for him, it was a rough year for him. When I don't understand, Father, I love you and I give you all my praise. That's the foundation. Step number two in displaying the kingdom, receiving the kingdom, is when I don't understand, I give you praise. And when I see somebody who's my enemy broken and hurting, I give them everything I possibly can. I pour out myself for them. I don't try to justify my stinginess. I don't try to hold anything back. So they're the wrong type of people. They're people. The number one problem in churches is people. (laughs) So often, I got got to leave there. So-and-so's there. That person did this. That person did that. I'm like, yep, they're people. Just this last week, I was talking to somebody. Well, they're they're a good believer. So-and-so's a great believer. They just don't go to church anymore. Why? Because somebody was hurt. People hurt people. Rule number two of the kingdom of God is even that person who has hurt you, even that person who is your enemy, even that person who you don't think deserves the inheritance of the kingdom, you give the inheritance of the kingdom to. That's what you do. That's what the kingdom of God is. It's our compassion. It's the spirit. It's our own money. It's our own possessions. We give it to them. The big question this morning that I want to ask, worship team, you can come forward. The big question that I want to ask is who is the neighbor? Who is your neighbor in your life? It's interesting this... How many guys remember when Pastor Don was here a while back? Pastor Don was here and he talked about in this whole um, story that Jesus gives, we actually see a real clear representation of Christ himself in this. And he goes through all the details, and that's perfect and awesome. I think when Jesus gives a story, there's also, there's also multi-facets, multiple layers to this. So I see Christ in there, and I see us in this. Jesus is trying to respond to a religious attitude to get them to see somebody different in their community. Across the street, down the road, around the corner, on the way to Jer- Jericho. How do you see those people? I love that Jesus... Hmm. before I started preaching, what was I talking about? I wasn't planning on talking about that at all. Worship, right? Who does Jesus explain worship to? Jesus. 
the Samaritan woman at the well. We have to be people that get worship in every aspect, and that's to the people that God's people, the religious, don't love. Who's half dead around you? I think it's interesting that it says half dead. You are made up of two sides, aren't you? Your physical health and your spiritual health. Your coworker might be half physically dead, and you need to minister to that. You need to see how you can help them physically, financially, emotionally, whatever. And then there's the spiritual side. How do you bring life to your neighbor spiritually? You might have a guy who works with you who's got all the money he needs, who's got the greatest career, whatever. He's got everything together physically, but spiritually he's an emotional wreck. He's dying on the inside. How are you reaching that half-dead neighbor? Do you love that person the way you love yourself? We have to get rid of the old religious, judgmental, self-justifying views and start redefining what God's people looks like. We have to redefine this. We, right now, I mean, just yesterday, I didn't go into the whole story, but just look, look at the news with our president. Everybody's mad now. Our president said some ridiculous things about other countries, right? I won't say those words because there's curse words in there, right? Is that the kingdom of God? Looking at these other countries with this, let's just like, they're awful little countries, let's blow them all up. Is that the response? I'm not, I'm not making a political statement about our president. I'm praying for our president. I think God will use him. I pray that God does use him. I'm not doing that. I'm not Democrat or Republican. I'm not doing that whole thing. What I'm saying is when we adapt mentalities of our country or our economic circle or our, you know, sports team circles and we look at the other side with judgment and animosity and we're not loving our neighbor as ourselves, are we really reflecting the kingdom of God? I just think on our own national level, how much more do we love Americans more than we love Canadians? My whole teenage years was spent mocking this Canadian girl in my class, right? Like, not really. It was kind of. Like, we love to make those Canadian jokes. My teacher in my class on Wednesday, on Monday was Canadian. You know? Eh? We, we love it, though. But the question is, do we as Christians, as God's people, as ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven, do we view somebody by their skin color, their view of politics of of abortion do we view them by their nationality do we view them by what church they grew up in or if they're atheists or if they're wiccan do we view them as samaritans basically or do we say that person who is the opposite of all that i believe all that i know they need to be loved by me the way i love myself because once we get that then we can go into deeper revelation once we get that foundational principle, we will really manifest the kingdom of God in this city and in this church. I'm, I'm telling you, church, I believe that God has called us to be a beacon of love in this city that's been built, literally built, on animosity of heritage. You're Italian. You're Polish. You're Greek. You're Jewish. This is my section of town. This is Green Ridge. This is... This is Manuka. I don't even know the culture of this area. Whatever. We've literally been established on this, haven't we? And the only way that Scranton will see the kingdom of God is like, I don't care about that. I love the Italians. I love 
I don't care, whatever, whatever you are. Like that's the, that's the easy way for you to represent the kingdom of God this week. It's easy. It's just really hard. <laughs> There's a paradox for you, right? It's simple. It's rule number two, but it's so hard. Can we, can we be honest with ourselves and, and not try to justify ourselves before the Lord and say, God, where, where am I loving your people? Where am I loving your people who's everybody, the Samaritans, the Jews, Palestinians? Where are we loving the enemies? Where are we loving our neighbors as ourselves? If we can stand, I want to spend a little time in worship. If you want prayer for anything, feel free. Will will be up front here, and my wife will be over here to pray with you. Um, they'll pray with you for anything if you're going through something. We want to always make that available. We want to try to build that here at City Lights. But this morning, we're going to worship, and I want you to really reflect. Is there judgment in my heart? Are there people right now? Is there somebody that just rubs you the wrong way all the time? And you can't do nothing but cringe when you think of their name. They pop up on Facebook and you're like, block them forever, right? Maybe it's, a, maybe, maybe it's the president himself. Maybe it's not the president. Maybe it's his formal rival. Maybe it was, I don't know who it was, but maybe it's a type of people. And I would ask you to ask the Lord to challenge your heart position on those people.